A reader lives a thousand lives before he dies. The man who never reads lives only one. Come into the reading room, all you lovers of language and literature. This is the place for those of us who believe that reading is essential as we seek to rise above the ordinary. And the reading room contains a host of extraordinary people, leading lights of the written word. Authors, literary critics, columnists and ideas people will tantalize your minds with their wordplay while discussing the ideas and worldviews that form our wonderful literary milieu. Come step into a world of magic, the place of undiscovered treasures, a room of reading. It's time to step into the reading room and sometimes the reading room isn't just about reading books, it's also about things like music. Because of course, you, unless you're just listening to instrumentals, you're listening to words and that's what the reading room is actually about, it's not just about books. To help us break down some of these more arcane lyric type things, we've got one of my favourite journalists, I'm sure one of your favourite journalists here in South Africa, who is... Really, the one person, whenever I see he's written anything, Facebook, anywhere, I'm on it, boy. And I really appreciate everything that Gus Silver has to write about, especially when it comes to music. Gus, thank you for so much for joining us in the room. Thank you very much, Melanie. Thank you. Okay, so this was all kicked off by something you put up on Facebook about Paul McCartney's The Lyrics. And it just seems that there's this renaissance of Beatlemania at the moment. Have you felt the same too? Yes, absolutely. Um, well, you know, interestingly, Beatlemania never actually went away. I mean, I've watched the millennials in my household, you know, growing up just as I did from a very early age, instinctively and spontaneously reacting to Beatles music. And I, there's a Beatles album called Beatles for Sale with the liner notes actually, the album came out in 1963, and the liner notes actually say that in the year 2010, kids will still be listening to the Beatles as they holiday on, on the planet Saturn. So it was obviously tongue-in-cheek, but it was completely accurate except for the space travel part. But yeah, absolutely, there's been a massive revival this year in Beatlemania. And I think a lot of it has to do with the documentary, which has been that series that's been on our TV recently. That's right. So Get Back is a very intimate close-up look at the legendary Beatles recording session, their last one for the Let It Be album. And that's a massive three-part documentary series on the Disney Channel. And it's and there's been nothing like it before. It's almost, I mean, when I was watching it, I thought this, is, this must be like what it's like to watch uh, Leonardo da Vinci paint the Mona Lisa. The creative process in intense detail, and that absolutely has revived interest in the Fab Four as they were known. But this is the thing is that we listen to music now and I see this happening so often that people are saying, oh, you know, the lyrics that on songs these days, they're so puerile. Most of them aren't even lyrics. And you, you go back to, for me, I think the 70s was definitely the time when maybe it's because people were experimenting with like, you know, LSD and all of that kind of stuff that the lyrics that you had in songs, they told stories, they were beautiful stories. And now it's just like, I'm going to smack my bitch up, you know. <laughs> uh, <laughs> do you think that maybe people are getting tired of, of that and wanting to listen to a story and, and a proper thing instead of just like this rote, oh, my baby, my baby kind of thing? Yeah. Look, I think, you know, since the advent of popular music, there have always been 
very basic kind of I love you baby style lyrics. That hasn't changed really. You know, the music of the 1940s also had a similar kind of uh, uh, look to it. But And the early music of the Beatles, their first um, album, you know, you can look back on it, it's very puerile. I want to hold your hand, please, please me, etc. Uh, the Beatles developed when they started listening to Bob Dylan themselves and uh, discovered that lyrics could be deeper. But yeah, and I think there's, I think there's room for very basic lyrics in, in hip-hop. This is, I think, there's room for very intense, novelistic, cinematic lyrics in music. But absolutely, the Beatles... And the lyricism of the Beatles, I think uh, that's why they've stood the test of time. Melodically, harmonically, and lyrically, they've managed to strike a chord with people across generations. So I think there's room for both styles of lyric, actually. And you're a lyricist yourself, aren't you? <laughs> well, well, occasionally. Uh, <laughs> look, I mean, when it comes to the craft of writing, I always admire songwriters because they have to cram stories into you know two verses and a chorus if they if a, a long, three verses if they're lucky but they've got to work with the discipline of meter and rhythm and rhyme and they've got to paint pictures in your head and tell a story that's a massive discipline and a huge kind of creative a lot of energy goes into it so yeah absolutely lyrics they're kind of much deeper than they seem on the surface often and this i found is especially the case with the great beatles albums well, talking about great Beatles albums, which is your favorite? <laughs> yeah. So um, the, the kind of, you know, the classic Beatles album, the one that's always regarded as their ultimate work of perfection is Sgt. Pepper's Lonely Hearts Club Band. Absolutely, yeah, yeah. yes. <laughs> which, which is an amazing work, but it's almost too perfect. My, my personal favorite, the one I keep going back to, and it's kind of embedded in my head, actually, is, is Rubber Soul. It, um, it marked a period where they started getting a lot deeper with their lyrics and with their experimentation and it's also very poppy and um, so it kind of combines both aspects of the Beatles and it's the one that I just feel most at ease listening to and I actually never get tired of it. Sgt. Peppers is a little bit more kind of work because it's so complex and I find it slightly colder. Uh, Rubber Soul for me is a very warm album so that is my personal favorite. Okay so now we're going to get to the book, the lyrics. 1956 to the present. A man of words, Paul McCartney was, right? So, but he's always said he's never going to do an autobiography. Would you say that this book, even though, I mean, seeing as it's coming from his point of view, is pretty much autobiographical? Yeah. So, what the book actually is, interestingly, is it's what's known as an oral history. So, it's somebody speaking to McCartney, uh, first person getting his take on the songs. And it's almost, I would describe it actually as an accidental autobiography because when McCartney talks about the songs, he's talking about his life and his state of mind and his state of place at the time that he wrote the songs. He's also talking, obviously, about his collaboration with Lennon. But this is much more effective than, a, than an autobiography would have been in, in ordinary terms because it's a musical autobiography. And I think what, what I love about it is that you can approach it in a completely non-linear way. You don't have to go from 1956 on. You can look at the songs that you like best and get insights into how and why they were written. It's full of those little insights. But also, McCartney comes alive in the book in an amazing way. I mean, I kind of, I read the book in his voice. I hear him talking, which makes it a very personal and intimate kind of um, book. It's not at all a technical cold book about the art of lyric writing. 
But when it comes to the songs themselves, he famously didn't ever, ever keep a diary. So this is actually, the, the songs were his diary of what his head was in at the time. And I mean, you can see the difference between right in the very beginning when they started writing, as you said, it was like all the more formulaic type songs. I'm just, I'm just wondering sometimes how he could have remembered. I mean, if, <laughs> we're not going to say what yeah. they did or when they did or did that they didn't do it. To try and remember where the thoughts came from for the songs to begin with. Yeah. So I suppose an advantage for Paul McCartney with this book is that, you know, no group in history has been as thoroughly and obsessively documented as the Beatles. There are so many books that analyze their work and that chart in minute detail the studio sessions and so on. So there's a huge body of work that I suppose has filtered into his head over the years. And I think the Beatles, and it comes across the documentary, were very acutely aware of what people were saying about them. So, yeah, probably partly memory, partly kind of muscle memory of having written the songs, and partly, I think, going back and having a look at them during the process of um, of talking to his kind of co-author for this book. So, yeah, it was all there, and it kind of came spilling out when, it, when he started talking about the songs. Yeah, there's so many songs. I mean, I just sit there and think, how many songs did the Beatles actually put out? <laughs> yeah, I'm not Can sure. You, do you know offhand? I'm not sure of the exact number, but there were 13 studio albums and a number of other releases, uh, not quite bootlegs, but compilations and so on. I think the number's definitely in the hundreds. But, you know, they only really recorded from 1962 to 1969. It's a very short time when you compare them with their big rivals of the time with the Rolling Stones. The Stones are still touring in the 21st century. So the Beatles lasted a short time in history and had a massive creative output that still, you know, as you said earlier, lingers to this day. Okay, so of the, all of the songs that they did do, how many of them are he's, does he speak about in the book? Um, and how have they actually arranged it? Yeah, so the, the arrangement is, is chronological. It goes from 1956 um, when uh, him and, and Lennon first got together and started um, recording in their bedrooms, basically. Um, and then, uh, once again, I'm not sure of the exact number of songs in the book, but it's, it's, it's a fair tome. It's a real kind of big book that you don't kind of read in one sitting, obviously. Very similar to the documentary, Get Back, actually. It's something that you dip, you into. dip into. it. Yeah, yeah. So uh, I, would have to, I would have to go and check on that. But once again, the number's definitely in the, in, in the hundreds. But they also have it um, vaguely alphabetically as well. So, like, yeah. I know that, the, that they've got an F. They've got um, Fixing a Hole, The Fool in the Hill, yes. For No One, and From Me to You. Um, but That's then right. I, I like the part about where they said <laughs> one crit with everything from the I period dates <laughs> it's much earlier. I saw her standing there. I want to be your man. <laughs> I want to hold your hand. I'm down. I'll follow the sun. <laughs> and then you right. get to, oh, you get Obladi Oblada, which is, I think, I always sit and think of Obladi Oblada and never remember that the Beatles actually came up with that, which is like one of my least favorite songs yeah. ever. Yeah. No, I'm glad you say that because, you know, I'm so fond of the Beatles, but at the same time, very aware that they actually recorded some really not great songs. And of the Dear Blood Dies, the one Beatles song that I just, if it ever comes on, if I hear it anywhere, firstly, it will stay in my head for days. But secondly, I just don't like it at all. It sounds like something tossed off and it doesn't kind of at all capture what the Beatles were really about. But, you know, they were such a great band that even their mediocre songs still stand the test of time. And of the Dear Blood Dies, I suppose, is a bit of a kid's kind of uh, nursery rhyme song almost. 
I, I don't like it. But I a lot hated of it do. when I was 10, hey? <laughs> <laughs> I really, I mean, at 10 years old, I'm like, this is a really revolting song. I don't yeah. like it at all. But the thing is, we still remember it. Yeah, yeah, that's right. Partly because the Beatles kind of exist in popular memory to such a large extent, including for people born long after their era. I mean, I think you could kind of stop the average millennial or Generation Z or Generation Y person in the street. And at the very least, first of all, they'd know who the Beatles were. If you were lucky, they might know their names, but they would certainly recognize their music. It's filtered into popular culture to such a large extent. It's kind of, you know, you can't ignore it around the world. It always strikes me that somewhere in the world, at any point of the day, hundreds of people are listening to the Beatles consciously Mm. or in the background. What I like about this book as well is the fact that there's pictures in it and there's notes. They've actually taken notes that were written on whatever pieces of paper they had of the lyrics and various bits and pieces and thoughts that have been included in all of this. And and it makes it, you know, sometimes you look at a book and say, oh, it's just solid writing. But this makes it kind of yeah. like really personal. Yeah. Yeah, no, absolutely. It's a scrapbook and anthology so you can approach it um, from a technical point of view, as in I'm interested technically in how McCartney wrote his songs uh, musically and lyrically, and you can approach it as a kind of social history of of someone who's now approaching 80 years old um, from the 60s to the 21st century, and you can just kind of delve into it for the backstory to your favorite or least favorite songs. It's it's very much a multi kind of uh, disciplinary kind of book that you definitely will spend a long time reading and dipping into. So now for for you reading this book, which part of it has had the kind of most, not influence on you, but which part has really spoken to you the most in the book itself? Well, funny enough, you know, I'm so familiar with the songs that the thing that I really like about the book actually is the anecdotal aspect of it. I really like kind of finding out what was going through Paul's head what sort of context he was in. And I've always thought of the Beatles as, uh, on the one hand, you know, kind of godlike geniuses. On the other hand, they were just four ordinary guys from Liverpool. And that ordinariness comes across a lot in the book. And I kind of, I think it kind of brings them down, brings him down to earth. I think he was always like the most, it was kind of pretty much the kind of the, the best looking and the, the most charismatic I member of the doubt, group. I, I, I'm going to dispute that. <laughs> yeah, I think. Yeah, but I, I would, think that was public perception. You know, that Paul was the was the was the leader, and this book kind of brings him down to earth. It's very folksy. It's very jokey. It's very much kind of a, a document of its time. So, as much as I love reading about the lyrics and the way they were kind of um, structured, I kind of like that anecdotal aspect. It takes you into his life. You know. I think a much more intimate way than an autobiography would actually have done. And does he sort of talk about the people who wrote, I mean, because he didn't write all of the songs, or is he only concentrating on songs that yeah. he wrote specifically himself? Well, funny enough, I mean, a lot of the sort of revelations in the book are, you know, so the Beatles decided quite early that they were going to write as Lennon-McCartney, that all their songs would be Lennon-McCartney, even when it was quite obvious that a song was either a McCartney song or a Lennon song. They, they made that um, distinction quite early. And, you know, every now and again, you come across a song that you kind of thought was more of a Lennon song than a McCartney song. And that's kind of re- revelatory. Um, but just kind of, uh, 
there's a there's a lot of of discussion obviously in in the book about the rest of the Beatles. It's primarily, of course, McCartney's book, but it's quite fascinating finding out how they collaborated, um, how they how they worked, how songs kind of came out of thin air for them, and how much work actually also was put into them. So from that point of view, it's 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 very full of insights. And, I mean, does he speak a lot about his family? Because I know one of the songs that he was in there, and he wrote it when he was 14 after his mother died. Yeah. I mean, is it kind of, that's even before the Beatles came along. So, you know, that the inclusion the inclusion of that as well. I mean, it's, it's sort yeah. of very much is his life. That's right. I mean, he was a prolific songwriter from his early teens. And he wrote melodies. Um, a good example, I think, one of my favorite Beatles songs is When I'm 64. He actually wrote the full melody for that when he was 16 years old. And it's a very intricate um, song. And the lyrics for it came much later and were based on his father kind of entering his 60s. So, yeah, the family does come into it um, quite often, which I think, once again, gives it that sense of warmth. You know, you get the sense that Beatles songs that you thought were generically about people at large were actually about um, specific people uh, who were, you know, among his family or otherwise well known to him. So that kind of brings the songs into another dimension and you can't listen to them again as generic. They certainly have personal meaning. Yeah, it's full of those revelations too. So then was Eleanor Rigby an actual person? Does he say in there? No. Yeah. No, Eleanor Rigby was basically, uh, you know, a, a, a novelistic made-up name. But, um, you know, <laughs> funny enough, I haven't actually got to Eleanor Rigby in the book yet, so I'm not too sure. That's one of the, you know, it's almost like you leave you leave certain songs for later. You dip into them at a at a later stage. What I personally know about Eleanor Rigby is that it was just a name that that popped into uh, McCartney's head, and the, the melody was came from experimentation as well. Uh, it just happened that that the name fitted in with the uh, with the melody, and I think the from this is just from the top of my head. You know, the line "All the lonely people" came into. McCartney's head long before the character was actually born. It's a very novelistic song. It's a kind of, to me, a slightly overly sentimental song, but um, I'm quite interested to actually read about it and see how it kind of took place, because that's just my background knowledge of it. It kind of took place in little in little kind of wisps of inspiration. Uh, a chorus here, another lyric here, a name there, because it fitted in with the melody. Which of the songs have you enjoyed reading the lyrics of the most, but looking at them from a different point of view now that you have him saying where they came from? So, um, you know, the, the ones that I turned to uh, straight away were the, were the ones that I've always kind of known to be Paul songs. And when I'm 64 is a, a good example. Yesterday also is probably uh, McCartney's most famous song. And I think you know there's certain songs that you just you just know straight away are are Paul songs, even though they're credited as Lennon McCartney, that he kind of owns them. And so I've just been dipping into the book. Uh, I've certainly had a look at uh, at the albums that I've um, enjoyed the most, uh, Rubber Soul in particular. I think songs like um, Sergeant Pepper's Lonely Hearts Club Band, the most archetypal Paul McCartney song there, She's Leaving Home, which once again is a very novelistic song, which feels a little bit dated now in the 21st century but those are the kind of songs that I've turned to to see how how Paul approached them and uh, you know 
Uh, you know, one thing about the book as well that, that is very useful is that the lyrics are actually uh, printed in the book. And I think yesterday, the famous story about, uh, about it, and that McCartney goes into in, in quite a bit of detail, is that he first composed it with dummy lyrics. So he came up with a melody, and the first lyrics of yesterday were scrambled eggs. Oh, my baby, scrambled eggs. <laughs> so they were kind of dummy lyrics that kind of turned into this, yeah, I think it's one of the most popular songs ever recorded in terms of it's uh, being covered by other artists. Mm. So, you know, you get a sense that, a very strong sense that songs don't just kind of get born spontaneously. They go through phases of evolution, and at some point in that evolution, they don't feel like songs at all. So that's what's quite fascinating, is seeing the genesis of songs that are so familiar in your head and then you realize that they went through massive processes to get where they are now. Okay, so finally, like the, at the end of the Beatles as a band, I mean, it, there was, it was a bit untidy, the breakup. Does that come across yeah. at all, any of the stress that went down between Lennon and McCartney the whole way through the, the band's life? I haven't noticed it um, in the book. I think I've, I'm noticing it much more kind of contemporaneously with the uh, Get Back documentary which interestingly actually kind of paints a slightly different picture to the popular perception that the Beatles were kind of tearing each other apart at, at that stage. They were still collaborating in very creative ways, and they still, you know, certainly they were aware that they were on camera, but they still kind of got on with each other as a, a diverse kind of creative unit. That tension doesn't really come across much in the book. I mean, it is very much Paul's book, so it's his kind of view of the Beatles and it focuses on his songwriting, but you don't really get a sense of tension. Rather, what comes across is a sense of that amazing dynamic between him and, and John Lennon. And of course, you know, they also were um, a very kind of tense duo who had a lot of kind of, I think that was part of them, their magic that they were able to kind of uh, have creative differences and work through those differences and make amazing music. But no, the book itself is actually overly friendly about the about the whole Beatles era. It's 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 warm and personal. I think the distance of time has erased some of those tensions. I just love the fact that Paul went and wrote the song "Silly Love Songs" after John Lennon turned around and said, <laughs> "You can't stand your taste in silly love songs." <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, they 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 were a bit like. Kind of, you know, they're a bit like schoolboys. I mean, they met as schoolboys, and and you know, they often kind of had the sort of fights that schoolboys had. And you know, Lennon also hit back at McCartney and said, you know, when you were here, it was just yesterday. Now that you're gone, it's just another day. Because McCartney had a song <laughs> called "Just Another yeah. Day." So, so there was this perception that Lennon was this serious kind of genius artist in the band, and McCartney was the one who quite literally wrote silly love songs. You know, neither of those perceptions are true. I mean, you know, of the deal of the die is proof that they could each kind of contribute to, you know, nonsense songs when they wanted to. I Am The Walrus by John Lennon as well is a completely silly song. But the, the other ones get left out, unfortunately, which I, I always, because George is my favorite Beatle. I have to be honest. I did knock him over at the 21st birthday of the Hard Rock yeah. Cafe in London in my haste to get a strawberry daiquiri from the bar. And he was very charming, but... After when he left the Beatles, what he did on his own—I mean, he also could write yeah. songs and pretty good songs as well. But does he come yeah. into this yeah. whole dynamic at all? Is it all basically just about Paul and John? Well, it's definitely a book about the Beatles, and and I think uh, you know they all obviously feature in it. But because it's a book about the lyrics and their specific meaning and the songwriting process, 
the spotlight is is almost entirely on Paul. I mean, you know that the Beatles were there in the background. You, you know that those songs wouldn't exist if it wasn't for the Beatles. But it's it's an intentionally personally focused book. And, of, you know, sadly, John Lennon never got to, uh, you know, tell his own story of his uh, of his songwriting career. That would have been quite fascinating to compare the two. But, um, Melanie, I'm very pleased that you say George was your favorite Beatle because he definitely was my favorite Beatle too. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> You know, when I was when I was in school, when I was six years old, you know, me and three of my friends used to walk around the playground singing Beatles songs, and I was always George. You know, I didn't care who was John and Paul, but George was always, you know, he had a, he had he had an album after the Beatles called Dark Horse because he was he was so often referred to as the Dark Horse of the mm. Beatles. But to me, he was an amazing songwriter. If if he hadn't been the Beatles, his songwriting prowess would have been much more celebrated. You know, his songwriting came into uh, maturity um, around the time of Revolver and then Sgt. Pepper's, um, uh, it really kind of blossomed. But his post-Beatles career was amazing. But aside from all that, I mean, he was just a brilliant instrumentalist. You know, so quiet on stage, but also with the ability to make his guitar sing. You know, one of his most favorite songs is While My Guitar Gently Weeps, which describes mm. his guitar playing style. Very well. But yeah, he was my favorite. Absolutely. So this, if anybody hasn't already um, gotten all their Christmas shopping done, people like me, this would, I think, probably be (laughs) a really fantastic um, present, a Christmas present for people who are not only into music, who also love the Beatles, but from the point of view of getting the whole story. Yeah. So this book is, it's, it's a very special book. I mean, I've been reading the electronic version of it. But I think the um, the hard copy version uh, will be out in um, the big bookshops by now. And it's not a cheap book. It's not something that you just kind of pick up and say, oh, I think I'll buy this today. I think it's, it's uh, you know, definitely will be selling in the, you know, probably around 500 rand or so. It's a, it's a, I think it's been selling as a, in the hard copy version as a, as a two-volume edition. It's a very good-looking book. Uh, but absolutely, if there's a Beatles fan in your life, there's a good chance that they'll know about the book and that they'll desperately be wanting the book. And because it's not cheap, it's a fantastic Christmas gift. I don't think there's a single Beatles fan out there who wouldn't love to find that under the Christmas tree. And your last word on the book itself? Yeah, well, as you said originally, Melanie, that Beatlemania is alive and well, partly because of the Get Back documentary. But before that, I think because of this book, I think the book... Uh, whether or not you give it to someone as an actual gift is in its own way a gift to all of us, to everyone who loves the Beatles, to everyone who loves popular music, to everyone who loves the creative process. It's an amazing read, uh, and it's something that I intend to kind of dip into on a regular basis, hopefully for years. It's a massive compliment as well to your Beatles musical collection. It's an education. In fact, I think it would also be a fantastic gift for someone who knows who the Beatles are, but doesn't know much about their music. It would be an education. I mean, it actually should be a kind of course book at school. <laughs> That's what I think. And it'll also be very nice for people to realize that songs are actually about stories instead of just being pff, those horrible lyrics that we get subjected <laughs> to so often. And I mean, I know that a lot of people will sit there and go, oh, listen to Justin Bieber, all he does. And if you take Justin Bieber, he's, he's singing the kind of songs that Paul McCartney sang right in the very beginning as well. When they were small. Yeah. 
Yep. No, no, so, absolutely. I mean, you know, you know, pop music, pop music is essentially about primal emotions, which is why so many pop songs are about love and about the opposite of love, breakup and so on. I mean, you know, this goes way back to the beginning of, of popular music. These songs strike a chord. Pop music will always be the music of youth. Um, so it's about first love and it's about lost love. But, you know, as much as it's the music of youth, it stays for you as old as you get. And the older you get, the more nostalgic you get, you get about it. And I think it's very important to stay as much as you can up to date with what current musicians are writing. For me, um, I try and do that as much as possible. I mean, it's always not trying. It's, just, it's around you in the air. But you so often hear and feel the influence of the Beatles in, 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 in other musics. And that, for me, is, is proof that... You know, the, oh, the Beatles are now kind of their classical music as much as Bach and as much as Schubert. So you, when you hear a Beatles strain or a Beatles harmony in popular music, you think to yourself, oh, you know, that's my kind of classical music. They're still around. And yet it feels completely up to the minute. It doesn't feel antiquated. So they'll perpetually be relevant. They, they, their kind of influence won't ever wane. It won't ever go away. Okay. Saying about Bach, I wonder if the Beatles got Bach. <laughs> <laughs> Get Bach. <laughs> Sorry. That just popped That's in. Right. I don't know where it came from. Yeah. Well, one, Ringo did get Barbara Bach, didn't he? <laughs> <laughs> well, one of the Beatles' first big hits was the Chuck Berry song, Roll Over Beethoven, yeah. which was about, no, move out of the way, Beethoven, we're here, and this is our music now, which was rock and roll. But absolutely, when the Beatles kind of sang that song, they kind of reinvented it. And the kind of sense was, Music's changed forever. Um, you old fogies move out of the way. Tchaikovsky, Beethoven, Bach. Um, this is a new kind of music. And so, it's, so there's a bit of irony attached to the fact that, that the Beatles became a form of classical music and that that's pretty much what they are today. Yeah, they're just missing out on Brahms there, by the way. <laughs> the good three. <laughs> yeah. Silver, thank you so very much. Um, I mean, I'm just so glad that you, you know, posted about this on Facebook. And, you know, I'm, I'm, amongst other people, we are ardent followers of your writings on Facebook and in other places. So I really will follow everything that you do because you bring all the stuff that I want to read to my attention. Thank you for that. You're very kind. Thank you very much, Melanie. Thanks a lot. All right, and we'll catch up with you again at some stage and hopefully have you back on. Maybe we can even convince you to do your own podcast series. Wouldn't that be a good thing? <laughs> <laughs> and for the rest of you, I'll please. Take, I'd love to take you up. Okay, we'll do that. Yeah. What I'd like to say to people, though, of course, is that if you're not somebody who spends a lot of time reading – I would suggest that you do. And there's nothing better than the feel of, I know that Gus has been saying he's been reading this book electronically. For me, there's nothing better than getting a book in my hands and enjoying and sitting down and letting my mind wander. Get away from the TV, get away from the electronic devices, let your mind work and go into that entirely wonderful world that you can create for yourself with the help of somebody else. So come into the reading room. We'll catch up with you again next time. You've been listening to another production from Solid Gold Podcasts.